Welcome to another episode of We Are HR by HR Partners. I'm Alex King. And I'm Andrew Patch. And special guest, James Freer, Associate Director, Talent Acquisition at Monash College. Um, a, a true uh, recruitment specialist with core focus on building capability and success. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Um, cool. Today's podcast really is going to be about recruitment and some of the trends that mm-hmm. did or didn't occur in 2018. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be focusing on what the top sort of topics yep. or maybe forecast for what 2019 is going to look like sure. from a recruitment standard. Um, but before we start, James, can you give us a bit of an intro about yourself? Here you are. Sure. <laughs> um, so I fell into recruitment for my sins. I Weirdly enough, I started off as a, uh, pastry, a pastry chef. <laughs> so a qualified pastry chef. It wasn't one of those things when you kind of, you know, go to school and go, what do you want to do? It yeah, wasn't yeah, like recruitment. Yeah. So for some reason, I loved cooking. My uh, grandma was one, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to follow the family. So did it for three years and decided the early mornings and horrible start. And... I thought, I'm not doing it. And then one of my friends said, oh, you're really, really good at sales. You should uh, think about recruitment. Yeah, yeah. And I went, recruitment? What is that? This is... Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to be showing my age here, but it's... Uh, <clears throat> A long time ago, and back then it was the personnel department, right. and then it became the staffing, and then recruitment was kind of the kickoff. And then I found myself recruiting at 22 years of age, yeah. doing banking, finance, and I thought, oh, this isn't too bad. You get yeah. your first placement, you get your second one, you hit your first quarter, and then the best thing of all happens, you get your money in the account. That's so <laughs> yeah. for me, that was kind of the driver. Then as you know, five and then 10 years came by, I was like, okay, I need to kind of diversify. Um, and then I found myself moving into management. And then back, you know, 2008, it moved into internal, which was very impossible to get to internal recruitment without having a HR background. Yeah. So it was one of those very challenging, you would know this, Andrew, yeah. being in the sector for many <laughs> years, um, very challenging. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to have to get some further study and try and get a bit of an ilk or trying to specialization and that was looking at process improvement okay. um, yeah. and really looking at what is the candidate experience and the hiring experience and then I think my career over that next five or ten years where we are today 2018 is really being about process improvement um, yep. and now I've uh, you know been worked in the States and the UK and had a nice global perspective uh, and now we're uh, working at Monash College yeah thanks all right and here we are 2018. Mm. Um, Coming to an end very quickly. Yeah, yeah. So perfect segue to sort of talk about maybe some of the the top four topics that we've um, identified. Um, I guess we we sort of just start off and then we'll we'll question you and probe you as we go. Yeah, sure. We'll uh, kick into sort of the the, around the the, the trends that you've seen this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, as I started writing these down, there is so many different um, elements that have been prominent and, you know, the, I mean, AI is a huge one, which everyone's been talking about, yeah. and it's, we're going to talk about that 2019 because I think for 2018, um, let's just, I think this year is about getting back to basics. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one about hiring volume, you know, it is continuing to increase. I think there has been lots of changes, you know, with, you know, instability in government. There has been, you know, we've got a very strong economy, low unemployment. But then also we've got changes, things like, you know, the 457 or now, you know, the TTS. So I think those things have driven, but also most organizations are, we're not downsizing. Mm. It's more about where do we invest the money and people? And I think a lot of new positions are coming through, which is around, you know, IT or I suppose those uh, technology based roles, which are kind of coming through. So, 
if you look at the mix of contract and permanent, I mean, you're the expert. I mean, I think you would see a yep. lot of organisations yep. aren't committing to permanent, so it's more contracting, maybe, yep. a try before you buy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right now, we probably hit the perfect line between 50-50. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very um, different to what it would have been five years ago, easily. Yeah. And it's moving more towards contract, especially at the senior end. Yeah. And yeah, and I think, I suppose the question to you guys, that would be more about skill shortage as well, or is it more about organisations not wanting to invest in that? Yeah, and also just the flexibility people are mm -hmm. looking for. At the, the more senior people get, they want that yeah. work-life balance, you know, and they're not afraid to go and do a contract. Yeah, sure. Whereas, you know, it used to be that everyone wanted a permanent ongoing job. Yeah. Um, now, now people don't. They want to have flexibility. They want to try new things, mm. um, especially when people have been in an industry or a sector for quite a while. Yeah, sure. Um, the opportunity to go and do a, a six, 12, 18 month contract is something that's completely different. Yeah, it is. It's refreshing and, and appealing to yeah, them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's changing the wants from the company as well in terms mm. of, you know, a while ago they'd probably look at someone and the idea was if they didn't have that, that tenure, they would mm. be a little bit hesitant to, to oh. bring them on board because mm -hmm. they look like a liability. Yeah. But these days, most of the roles that, especially what I deal with within the contract space yeah. is they want at least three different companies right. in a similar position. Yeah. For someone yeah. who can be really agile, really dynamic, mm. and can understand it as sort of a changing mm. landscape. So that's the difference between, you know, the in, 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 in the contract mm. space, it's, it's more about your capability and the particular project Correct. as opposed yes. to, to you know being yes. have to be that hundred percent culture fit yeah, for yeah, a role. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing. I think it's about that return upon investment, and even in that internal spectrum, we're seeing now around the big drivers about conversion rates, and you know it's about having the internal. And I suppose we have to talk about internal because that's obviously <laughs> talk about. Yep, so yep. if it's sorry about the agency piece, but you know, and it is. I think the key metrics uh, is the driver, and I. I went into Monash College on a contract. Yep. It was two weeks, did diagnostic. I then was um, requested to stay back, <coughs> sorry, to continue for another three months. And they got another three months and now mm. you know, I'm for another six months. So it's, it's, but the whole time has been about in this three month block, mm. we need you to focus on delivering on the key metrics and the KPIs. Yep. And that is, you know, traditionally direct internal and the referral rates yep. and agency, you know, We've got to use them. And agencies will always have Thank a you. lot. <laughs> yeah. And this is, and I'll say this, you know, verbatim. Like, recruitment agencies will always have yep. a role to play because you guys have the networks. Mm, you yeah. can turn around quickly. Um, and, you know, you've got access to ready talent where we go to market, it takes us forever. We don't yeah. have the brand. Um, so, yeah, I think that's... I think, I think the branding side of things is becoming even more important, especially mm. this year, as there's a shortage of talent. Mm. You know, genuine quality candidates at the moment, you know, have more than one opportunity in the mix. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, depending on what role you're doing, yeah. especially if it's like an internal recruiter, talent acquisition, you can assume that they've got at least three roles on board. Yeah. And I I think I spoke to you, we, we actually mm. did something not too long ago, and I was thinking I've got maybe a week mm. with this one candidate before he gets a... That's right. Yeah, it's, it's basically who can offer them first. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's been one of the shifts for this year is, is really around companies almost having to sell themselves in the role. Mm. Oh, completely. During, during, I agree. The, during the process rather than, you know, you interviewing the candidate. Years ago, it was pretty much the first question is, why do you want to work for us? Yeah. yeah. And now the question is, you know, why, you know, the candidate will actually ask that question. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why should I come work for you? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we never used to talk about, I mean, you would know this, yeah. you'd never talk about features and benefits. We'd talk about base salary maybe about the hours, 
and maybe who work there, but you'd never talk about you know the culture and the environment. So it has yeah. shifted. Well, the three main focus points in terms of what candidates are looking for. Yeah, yes, it is salary because mm. there's so much competition in the market. There's so many offers on the table. Mm. Usually, it will boost their, their base mm. up. But it's also about um, flexibility within the workspace. Right. Yeah. You know, work-life balance. Mm. What, do they have any so maybe sporting groups around them? Things yeah. so they can sort of give them something outside of work to keep them yeah. you know, it's true. Sort of sane. But then it's also about um, future-proofing themselves. Mm. You know, what sort of career path does yeah. it also give them? So it's yeah, for sure. There's a lot more sort of progressive sort of focus on where it's taking them mm. rather than just that. Yeah, okay, and even, yeah, even, well. even the shift in the questioning, you know, it's about not that. The client oh, asking, completely. where do you want to be in three years? It's, it's the candidate saying, yeah. what are you going to offer me in three mm. years? And I think it extends outside of the recruitment function to now human resources. Because human resources, if you read into the data, the you know, the future of the HR team is really going to be double or quadruple the size. Because yeah. how I'm remunerated is not how you want to be remunerated. You want gym membership, you want $1,000 worth of travel vouchers. So it's really about how do we now... And then I think a lot of the HR, how do they add value, but also create these bespoke packages on Rem and Ben. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm saying a bit. Especially, yeah, I guess, as you move to contracting as well, being yeah. able to tailor that to specific yeah, roles and specific people so you can attract the best talent and keep them engaged yeah. in the long term. And look, we're a long way off. It's not yeah. going to happen the last few years, but I think right now it's about flexible work hours. Yep. It's about, you know, you know, if they've got, you know, parental you know, responsibilities, I think it's about that flexibility. Um, or you know, people it's more about output as opposed to mm. I don't need to see you every day. I don't need you to be in the office as long as you get this job done. But yet again, I don't think many organisations that respect that. Look, we are getting a little bit better at that in terms of my responses because yeah. Yeah, I guess most of the roles that I would deal with, you know, they're a full time role. Um, but I would also push for a, you know a zero point eight FTE, so yep. a four day working week, because um, it boosts my ability to find a more senior talent pool. Um, and it gives them the work-life balance that they mm. enjoy. So what's eight hours to someone? Yeah. Um, it, I'm getting a lot of wins this year. I'm finding that people are much more open to the idea mm. that they don't have to be on site all the time. Good. Yep, that's really good. Yep. Mm, good point. Mm, easy one. It um, is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think one of the other uh, key uh, initiatives for you know, 2018, everyone's talking about you know entry hiring, you know you know becoming a priority, um, and Look, entry level is such an interesting piece because when I started reading it, it's very US centric, this data. Yeah. And a lot of things we do read in the market is US traditionally. Um, so I think for this, I, I my insights are always about graduates. Mm. And I went to really, I went to the Australian graduate uh, conference yesterday and there was uh, the head of talent acquisition for PwC. Yeah. What I think was really, one thing that resonated with me is they've got this new program, it's called the Hire Apprenticeship Program. And I'm giving a plug for PwC here. Um, <laughs> but I, I think what I liked is that they're actually looking at graduate is anyone. It's any age. So if you've done your master's, you're changing careers. It's not no no longer someone who's gone to high school and is 21, 22 years of yeah, age. Right. Yeah. So now it's really about them providing uh, basically access to different talent because they're running out of the talent shortages. So they're considering what is entry level. But I think entry level rather than being a school lever, I think it is new for that industry sector. So it was quite okay. a fascinating little piece, and uh, you know they put them through a twelve-month program. And at the end, you get to plan for a business. Right. Mm. So yeah, Dif- different way of looking at it. It is. Yeah. It is. Okay. It's kind of different to the the old equation of mm. you get them out of uni, you make what you can. 
Yeah. It's, it's so they're trying to, so making the most of an available market that yeah. we never used to do. Correct. Right, okay. But even, you know, one of the keynote speakers was saying that, you know, back in, you know, only uh, the graduates next three years, there's going to be 90% of high school students will have, or kids coming out of school will have a year 12. Where when I was coming through school, it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near that level. It wasn't near yeah. that level. It yeah. was down to seventy percent. So now we are becoming, you know, a, a co- an industry or a culture, sorry, a society where you know education is certainly you know warranted and needed. Yeah. So yes. Hmm. Okay. Um, and about during that onboarding sort of life cycle, that the kind of the, the experience becomes the yep. main differentiator between that sort of that process. Um, do you find that personally with we do, yeah. So we find because uh, we are onboarding two types of individuals. One is corporate, so your general staff. Yeah. Um, they're used to a traditional environment, which is, you know, you uh, we use on online paperless, you know, onboarding experiences. We have a little welcome video. Uh, it's not as sophisticated as some companies. Uh, we you know we provide a nice little welcome pack, which is you know yeah. with a bottle of water, a USB stick, and jelly beans and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. But the big challenge we have is that uh, a lot of our teaching staff works uh, on a sessional basis so part-time maybe four or five hours but they work across different campuses so we're now working on a program of how do we engage and ensure that we provide them with a good experience yeah. so i think our first quarter next year is how do we ensure that we give them a positive experience because we know that's an area where we need to focus on um compared to say some other institutions mm-hmm. and if, you know particularly for us that war for talent we are lucky because we are we remunerate them very well, yeah. um, but it is those little soft things which we yeah. we know, particularly you know running recently staff surveys and candidate surveys. The feedback is uh, consistent that there are opportunities for us to yeah. develop. Yeah, and even we find uh, as a business, you know, it's quite surprising the number of roles we get in mm. where the clients been through that process themselves yeah. of hiring, and the candidates fallen out somewhere along the process because mm. they haven't been engaged yeah. by the client or they haven't managed <clears throat> their their process so properly um, so yes that's, that's that's probably the most surprising things and just how you can lose the good talent yeah mm. you know you spend yeah. all the time trying to get them on board and get them to come to your business but once they're sort of starting to go through the process it's mm. how much you need to invest and keep them engaged in that process so they don't get taken by another opportunity and that's you know um, before I was in the in back in Australia I worked for Corn Ferry for uh, for six years and three of those in the US and a lot of our programs we were selling were candidate care extensions because you know it was a standalone team we had a you know as a contact center for you know one eight hundred number from seven o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night the benefit of that is that they're available the you know we set up effectively a CRM program so that's where your talent pools but also candidates going through the process so. We knew that recruiters get too busy, possibly complacent. So we set up yeah. this program that they would go into the recruiters' requisitions and make sure that you know the timestamp hasn't exceeded you know seven or fourteen days, and yep. then we would be in contact by email or you know a trigger. So I think you know there are it doesn't take a lot to do simple things like that. Yeah. Um, but you know you can hide behind. You can send a text message. You can send you know an email or as, you know or that phone call is so important. So. That's how I, you know, that's why relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I always find after almost that first client interview is when I'm most vulnerable mm-hmm. because I know they've got other um, potential offers on the table. So mm-hmm. I have to keep touching base with them, just like yes, they'll get back to me shortly, yeah. and trying to you know educate the client to get them to come back straight away, or you will literally lose Correct. this person straight away yeah. if you like. So them. so true. Yeah, you have to. So move. true. Um, 
but I guess you have to be really careful about, especially you know, internal from your side, mm. about your brand and having the right experience with mm. Canon because you can't hide from anything anymore. Everyone's got social media. Everyone can so write a, re- a review. Yep, so um, true. You can get a scathing review after just one point. You may not have even just spoke to it in a month. One of the new candidates, yeah. there, they can just blast you from behind. Yeah, and we had we had a situation where that happened. Um, yeah, recently where it's uh, they can and they do. Yeah. So all you can really do is then take responsibility. You have to pick up the phone. You have yeah. to speak to the candidate and find out why they've got a grievance. And then, you know, what do they always say? It's one, you know, in terms of that whole someone tells it is word of mouth and negative uh, feedback. So, but particularly consumer brands, you know, yeah. we've all shopped in brands or. And I, you know, I've gone from applying for a role. I'm like, I'm going to work for that company because I remember I had really bad experience. So mm. yeah, it still resonates. Yeah, absolutely. it really does. So. Um, and do you ever like feel that there's, you should have like a specific, like a pathway journey or a journey map that's based within that sort of process to, you know, to ensure that that will never happen with a particular candidate or as much as you can have detailed process maps. At the end yeah. of the day, you still got humans managing the recruitment process. So. You know, no matter how much I kind of, you know, can, you know, bang onto the team about you must, you know, yeah. candidate care is the most important piece, and you know, it still astounds me that there are, you know, some candidates that it's been two weeks since we've got back to them. Yeah. So, mm. um, and I think sometimes it can be the culture of the organisation; they can be a little bit complacent generally about how they operate their businesses. I'm not saying mine ashes, but I think you know, from what I've experienced in the past, we, yeah. I've certainly been guilty of it, but also I've seen it from my team mm. as well that. If, because we're busy being busy and yeah. it's it's like the odd I think the successful internal recruitment model is the speed and the pace of a recruitment agency function model which is speed pace and you know every last phone call is potentially you're judged on so yeah. Yeah. and I think internal there's we can hide behind so much of email how many email, how many job ads do you see with no one's contact details? Yeah, <laughs> really. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great for ad chasing, but it's yeah. really <laughs> it's really challenging to you don't know who you just it's yeah. anonymous and so the organisations really get away with not having a duty of care yeah. or taking responsibility. Yeah. Mm. Um, great overview. Um, let's start talking about you know the future, mm. two thousand nineteen and and beyond. Right. Uh, and we're going to sort of cover just sort of main, the main ones that you really want to focus on yeah. is that you know, recruitment automation tools and data-driven recruitment and HR analytics. Yeah, I mean, there are so many different topics to cover. Um, I think every I've been to you know, several conferences this year and everything I've heard about is AI. Um, and you know, it's, it's across every single mm. sector and business and everything we do. And it's, you know, I think at the, I think the big piece one of the, I went to the Future Work Conference, um, and the big takeaway there is that AI for, from a, across the board, anything that's dirty, dangerous, or dull, will basically be outsourced, mm. or optimized with some type of technology. So, example, in the recruitment function, there are some remarkable CRM systems, we are yep. using now video interviewing to, yep. to kind of reduce that time. Um, we're using scheduling tools, so I think where, in the past, you know, and even what we're experiencing now is that I am using technology to reduce headcount in my team. Mm. And, you know, being back at my last organization, a lot of what we're selling is that we can deploy this technology. It's going to reduce all this administrative, you know, from a sourcing or admin or scheduling. And we'll save headcount. Yep. Um, but 
what I try and do at that point is say, rather than losing an admin, why don't we reinvest it to a sourcer or someone that acts as a candidate manager? Yeah. Because I think it's yeah. rather, once you've got the headcount, don't lose this, because once you give it up, you never get it Redeploy it. Yeah. yeah, why don't you redeploy yeah. it and think, look, if you do have a very sophisticated and mature talent pool community and uh, environment, I think that's where you should invest that time. Um, that's certainly I would love to do if we, you know, a larger organization <laughs> and then had it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I think there is this whole notion at the conference as well saying that there is this scare factor that AI will replace the humans. Well, it would to an extent at some of those roles, but <laughs> we hear this every day. And then I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know if you heard about the Amazon Yes, situation that came yes, up. Yes, we were literally just about to uh, pop that into yeah. the conversation. How with the, uh, you know, the top secret AI recruiting tool was scrapped mm. um, because it was a, a non-gender neutral view on its yeah. sourcing tools. So it was yeah. basically going against women because it was the calculation was based on the past ten years in a mainly male-dominated environment. Correct. So it basically gave them the upper hand and yes. then they realized this about two years later. Correct. That it was rating candidates in a pretty poor way yeah. um, and it was going to come back and hit them fairly badly. Yeah. So they completely just removed it from the, the process. Yep. So that's been scrapped altogether. And that was only, I think, a couple of months ago. And if you look at that, the system was built by human. It was programmed and coded by human. Yeah. And for them to get that system uh, commencing, you need to have a sample set of data which is Candace resumes. And the resumes that they'd loaded into the system at the time were of a white male from certain universities or a certain ilk of individual. And unfortunately, they didn't reprogram the system at that time to tell them anything differently. So it just, it just kept on going along. They go, wow, this system's so smart. It keeps on learning, learning, learning. So, and until obviously it came out, yeah, it didn't. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, even you look at those organizations, think, you know, Google, Amazon, you know, Google created their own ATS, their own sourcing strategy, yeah. but they dumped it after a period of time because it wasn't working either. So yeah, yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be right for the for the kind of solution. Yeah, I think the, the part that it seems to miss is, is really that culture feel and connection. Mm. You can't get that off, a, off a CV. Mm. Yeah. And even the roles that, that we work on, you know, for, for a generalist HR person, you know, 80% of, of business partners are going to be able to do the job. Yeah. It's the... It's the Know, it's the style, it's the approach, how they're going to fit into their team, mm. how they're, they're going to connect with the business, and, yeah. and vice versa. Mm. Does their style, you know, connect with the key leaders, and, mm. and can they work and partner mm. with them? That's that's the challenge. Of the, I guess the art of recruitment. Yeah, getting that right. And do you find things like video interviewing? Do you find what are, what other tools do you deploy just to try and get around that? Um, video interviewing definitely yeah. definitely helps. Uh, but you know, for us, it's it's making sure that you know when we take a brief on a new role, we're actually getting in front of our client. You know, you have a perception about mm. them, you go and meet them, and they're just absolutely different. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the old school uh, job shadowing is such a lost kind of uh, process where sitting in a client's department for one hour just to hear and see and pick up the cultural nuances is pretty vital. And you know, even some of you know, my team of voice said go and sit with them for an hour or two just yeah. to understand it. I think then you can come back and refine that choice and say, look, I've sat there, I understand it. This person you're going to consider. Yeah. And that's the advantage, I guess, you've got of being an internal recruiter yeah. as Correct. opposed to an agency. You know, we get maybe one, two hours if it's not a, if it's a new client we yeah, haven't dealt with before. Mm. Whereas you can build that 
mm. over time being with the business mm. and you get a feel for you know what's going to work within your business and what yeah what do you think about the whole video profiles do you think that's a trend that's going to kick through mm. i don't know a few agencies are using it i've seen some really cool ones yeah. Yeah. what named the agency but there is one that's at the moment which i'm like well, this is pretty cool like 30 seconds for 10 contractors yeah, yeah. yeah. quick easy it's in an edm they get yeah. sent across the three of them i'm like I could actually work with this person. Like, it's yeah. quite interesting. Um, yeah, look, definitely not for permanent at this stage. Okay. You know, if I take a brief, you know, even yeah. even LinkedIn profiles, clients want to see. They won't look at a LinkedIn profile. They want to see a resume. Right. Um, so it's it's very standard, and it's quite hard to get clients to think outside the school mm. at the moment. They're quite traditional from that point of view um, in in their process. Mm. I think it will change over time. Yeah, and what about moving away from resumes? Because a lot yeah, of companies are saying they're doing it, and you know, obviously the likes of you know yeah. big four banks yeah. and even you know PwC, they're they're for certain role types like graduates. Mm. Yes, I think you rely on there. Yeah, I mean, the video tool would skip a few processes, mm. and it's great to understand maybe you know their communication yeah. style because you can't put that on a CV. You can say a bunch of different things on a yeah. CV, but does it really pull through? Yay or nay, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but there's a bunch of tools that have been used by a few recruitment. Um, I'm not going to name names and uh, sell their names, but they'll have you know systems in place where it's almost a, a, it's almost an, a, an equation matching between mm. what their profile is and what the job is, mm. um, and then it can almost go online, sync them up on an app. Yep. But then again, that's also that's probably limited to entry-level roles because then after that point, especially if you say it's an HR business partner, couldn't tailor in the fact that you've got a stakeholder group Mm. or a client portfolio of 500 people, your main stakeholders is the business operations manager, his style is this, that's the only thing. So it's hard to cover all bases, Mm. but it's from an inter, maybe my point of view, if you've got a bit more of a um, like, uh, just an online profile with the, the video sort of format of how mm. they communicate and a few sort of just brief like 30 seconds spiel on themselves yeah. like you said that'll, that'll probably skip a few mm. beats of I what it's, we do it's, it'll be more of an entry point a way for yeah. the candidate yeah. to differentiate themselves from the market mm. and at least get get in front of a client yeah for sure um, I think that's that's where it'll be an advantage to a candidate yeah. if they can do something different Agree. Show their personality yeah. quite quickly, mm. yeah. and that will break down the door so they can get in front of the client. Yeah, for sure. Um, but even the difference in relation to, I guess, success rate of candidates going through the interview process. Yep. You know, when candidates go for that process, and you know they do a Skype interview as opposed to a face-to-face mm. interview, just the difference in response and the, the way That's it limits the, limits their ability to get the role. Yeah, you know, they're wooden, they're frozen, they don't know how to do it. Yeah. You get one, a question pops up and you're like, uh, 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 and you're going to quickly <laughs> think of it. Yeah, so just to be able to, to get in front of a client, I still think that part of the mm. recruitment process will, will continue and always be, be key. It's yeah, just about, sure. Mm. It's just about finding with technology different ways for you to get there. That, that'll that be where the, where the change yeah, comes yeah, from. Yeah, no, true. And I think a nice, you know, kind of bit of a segue is that I, I'm a big fan of chatbots as well on career sites. I think they're, you know, to answer the basic question about how to apply for a role, what's his position, mm. you know, what's the closing date. I think chatbots are really handy. Um, and then if you've got a complex question, you can throw to a human being. Yeah. Um, so that's something I've always, I haven't implemented any solutions here, but I think that's something I'm, I'm quite keen to kind of play with. And it's mm. not, it's, it's not an expensive um, kind of investment anyway. So yeah, but yeah, it's interesting piece.
Um, and we, I mean, at Monash College, you mm. feel that you have a lot of, do you invest a lot of time in that HR analytics or the you know, data-driven recruiting without giving too much information or we can always um, ask that question? Um, we are um, in our maturity of our recruitment uh, journey, I suppose, talent acquisition. Um, about 18 months ago, we decentralised the human resource uh, division to have a standalone talent acquisition. Prior, it was uh, conducted by the HR uh, manager and coordinator, and they would do the entire life cycle as well as manage their portfolio of, of human resources. So this has been a splitting it out and now having a standalone. So metrics has been an increasing, um, it's, it's, a, it's everything we live and breathe. Yeah. We cannot, um, if you look at the traditional ones, which is, you know, cost per hire, quality of hire, and then time to fill are the key basic ones. But now I've come from a world where I was, you know, very much doing a lot of reporting about shortlist to interview ratio, interview to offer ratio, like a lot more sophisticated mm -hmm. ones. And then you've got the whole diversity, female, mean the mix, indigenous, um, other minority groups in mixes. Yeah. So um, there's a lot more sophistication, mm -hmm. but I think we can sometimes get too overcomplicated yep. if it doesn't serve a purpose. Yeah. Um, if there's, the department is operating effectively and we are meeting what we need to meet, do we need more? Look, it's nice to do once a year or, or twice a year to show that we've gone, we've implemented certain changes, this is the ROI of this, yeah. then yes. Um, so I think it has a place uh, and large organisations, 100% when you've got large recruitment functions, but we are quite a lean structure. Uh, so I think it's as long as we get the basics right, yeah, um, and we can add value in other ways. Which is, I'm a massive fan of you know surveys and yep. candidate surveys and hiring manager surveys. You get a lot of different insights to help you uh, move kind of different. So more is using it as more a tool if you're yeah. missing the mark in a particular area. Yeah, There's definitely some analytics around what we can do to change. Or well, I mean the thing is you've got to put some type of uh, a lot of it is just personal feedback. So you've got to try and put that into a data set, yep. add a bit of a weighing to it, and then you put that into a net promoter score, so you can get something out of a 100. So yep. I think if you use you know, an NPS, net promoter score, into mm -hmm. that structure, uh, as long as it don't extract data for the sake of extracting, it's yep. got to tell a story. And what's yep. the insights that you're learning or mm -hmm. gleaning from that? And it's got to be about you know giving a pat on the back. It's about really highlighting that we are moving forward in the structure uh, but also good candidate hiring manager engagement, yep. um, I think, and maximising the investments. And that can also turn around to your brand as well that you mm. can sell on for that experience. So at the end of the day, it can fuel you yeah. in terms of that onboarding. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know one of our big initiatives is you know employee value proposition. EVP is uh, next big uh, yep. mountain to climb, and you know we'll add some different metrics in terms of once we get that mm. implemented. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, I mean, this has been a bit of a one-sided affair. <laughs> Did you have <laughs> any questions for us, James? <laughs> um, no, I think, you know, there's so many other things you can you can touch on. And I think it's, uh, you know, the hard, you know, we've only taken, we scratched the surface of mm. recruitment talent acquisition. There is, I think, you know, that's kind of a few things which are, this is just my lens, this is what I'm seeing right now, what I'm focused on from my work plan and my mm -hmm. strategy. So it's just where I am today. Yeah. And you know, if we have this conversation in three months, it yeah. will change and evolve because it's, mm. end of the day you're dealing, we recruit an emotional byproduct, which is a human being. Yeah. And you know, yeah. how do you put value on that? <laughs> <laughs>
So, James, how do you uh, how do you tap into an effective uh, talent pool? Um, it's a really interesting question. Um, what, what is an effective talent yeah. pool? Yeah. Well, what is an effective talent pool? Um, I think you need to. I think we before we can answer that, you're going to go back and look at uh, an organisation's effectiveness to source talent. And there are direct sources, which is let's post and pray, which is I call it recruitment one on one, which is whacking it out up on seek and hoping for the best. Yep. Um, and then if you go to 2.0, which we get a little bit more sophisticated, which is you know you're doing a bit of okay, LinkedIn's already been posted. You can do some searching, might go through seek resume search, but it's actually picking up the phone and asking for referrals from mm. candidates. Mm. Um, and then it's looking at things like LinkedIn groups yep. and developing a sourcing channel map, which would be. What are the different job boards with different associations? Um, remember years ago, we there was a we're trying to attract this insurance broker for caravans. So we saw there was this uh, caravan association of Australia. So you know, simple things of posting there's fifteen dollars to put a little ad in their newsletter, which mm. goes out once a month. Mm. I mean, those little left to center things, which really will kind of tap into different environments and. And I think with talent pools, it's it's just the extension. It's you know, a talent pool really is, um, it is you know, identifying the critical highs of an organisation, um, and basing you know your sourcing strategy on how to capture them. So if anyone has been a silver medalist or who came second or third in the process, ensuring that they've been pre-qualified, that the hiring manager would proceed with that candidate, you then would put them into a formalised talent pool if you have technology. If not use Excel spreadsheets um, and then just putting a date stamp Um, and then the talent community really is once you start getting a collective of individuals it's really about what is your communications plan Um, so am I going to send them an EDM is it going to be you know Facebook alerts am I going to put LinkedIn and what is the right uh, you don't want to bombard them. So, how? What's the frequency of it without offending them? Yeah. yeah, and the most you know effective what we're doing at the college at the moment is we, you know, we used a lot of agencies for emergency teaching. So now we're starting the campaigns to go and capture and target the talent, interview them, yeah, and then put them into a talent pool and keep in contact. And then when the vacancy comes up, the first thing we do, we print off the report. Here are all the profiles, mm. this is their overview, and sit down with the manager and saying, look, we've got, we had 27, three have dropped off, we've actually got 22 interested people. We need to go through a recruitment process, not going to place them. Mm. Let's start another conversation, yep. which is let's take them through an assessment center and see if they're suitable. Yep. And anyone who's not, then we won't continue with the talent pool. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I've always been a strong advocate, but you can't have too many. Uh, it's very important just to have a handful of each business classification because the more you have, the more you have to manage. Um, so yeah, talent pools is a, a one that I think um, a lot of organisations talk about. It's, it's a buzzword, yeah. a bit like AI and other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, I haven't, I've seen it done very well um, and then I've seen it done not as sophisticated. And what's interesting what you say about LinkedIn, um, I guess it's become a really powerful tool, especially from our side, especially my side of things, um, whether it's the back end sort of bullying searching, really trying to get that needle in the in the haystack of, a, you know, mm. someone might require a, a change manager with Prosky or Prosguide change yep. management qualifications and you've got to go through, you know, 800 people mm. just to find that and yeah. they won't allow anyone that doesn't have it. Yeah. Um, but that's a tool that I'll probably use compared to Seek, it, it is, growing in terms of my side of things from a contract perspective because one it takes me two seconds to put something on yep 
two, it goes to a more internal uh, candidate uh, referral system. Mm. So one is the people that I know in my um, list that follow me, and then they can openly refer their friends or colleagues, Correct. people that they've done. And this has happened before on quite a few occasions. Um, so I think about 30, maybe 30% of the roles that I have on, I'll have on seek, right. I would say, you know, just particular niche yeah. requirements. But the rest would be um, quick, uh, obviously the internal network that we have, but yeah. I would always do a nice and you probably see yeah. my LinkedIn profile, just yep. opportunities splotted onto my yeah. page yeah. just to, to promote that. And I get a much quicker turnaround on LinkedIn than mm. what I do. And unfortunately, seek is great, uh, however, it can get saturated. Oh, completely. Um, yeah. Which does tie me down in a lot of admin and it can push my week mm. back. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting that you know, probably 60 to 70% of the roles we fill are with candidates that are known mm. to us prior mm. to actually getting the role. Yeah. So it's about you know, how do you keep them engaged? How do you, yeah. how do you maintain mm. that relationship so when you do get the right opportunity, you can reach out and find them? Mm. One thing to stay engaged with them, but you've also got to be able to find them in your own system. Yeah, mm. for sure. And and it, that's why you need to have really good sourcing tools, and you're going to have a sophisticated system that can go through and search through it as well. It's and give you the tags. It's just there are a lot of yeah. There is so much different technology, but I still don't think there is one answer. There's no silver bullet mm. yet. Mm. Um, but you know, I think it's to what you're doing is I think LinkedIn it it does, and as much as you know, kind of. They charge, and you know there are a lot of pros that come to LinkedIn. <laughs> yes. um, but you know, I think there is. Uh, it, look, it has its place, but it's astounding. You know, coming back from overseas um, in the US, job boards aren't a thing. They don't. They, mm. There's a multitude of them. Yeah. And here, I'm still surprised that Seek is still the leader, and yeah. their sophistication of their product still hasn't evolved in you know maybe away for six years. And yeah. I would hope that you know their their resume search is still a very basic product. Um, so the thing is, we do really, we have to rely on multiple channels, and I think you know seekers for a long time had the own of the market mm-hmm. because, of, and that's why you know LinkedIn is a very, I think, extremely complementary but also primary channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about I guess your use of internal referrals across the university? We're very lucky that uh, we. I think we look industry standards. Thirty three percent is um, should be really your referral target. Um, mm-hmm. We sit at roughly about 30, 32%, so we're very good. In some instances, even more. I think because, you know, we have a lot of sessional teachers that might get referred to another role um, or, you know, people from the university referring across or vice versa. So I think it's uh, that word of mouth and that teacher network is quite important for us. So, and that's your point earlier about the candidate experience. It has to be on point because if somebody gets referred, you can make sure you look after them. Um, yeah. treat them like a guest in your own house effectively um, and that's you know that's a very kind of key aspect that people aren't really doing as much um, we'll apply for jobs and I'm sure you know, some jobs you never hear back from yes <laughs> yeah it's probably not enough I feel like a lot of clients that I deal with don't do it enough only on a few occasions have they actually when a, a candidate when it, sorry say a, uh, as an example um, an HR director passed me on mm. uh, a business partner who is just about to leave and they thought they were one of the, the top guns of the office and they passed me their CV in four weeks time I had a new role with them um, but I don't get that amount yeah. of, you know you don't have to come for us just for a job if you feel like you've got a candidate that's 
in the midst of leaving because mm. of a contract or something, reach out to us because we're trying to you know, it's just trying to operate that that referral mm. system, which I just feel that people try and keep it a little bit in house and they don't sort of <laughs> they don't give it to us more. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And look, I think Melbourne will be very good at kind of sharing networks mm. and you know being very careful not to burn the networks. Yeah. I, you know, I think there's a yeah, we're very lucky that I think you have to pick up phone to refer across because it comes down to trust, doesn't it? That yeah. you're not gonna you're gonna look after someone. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting. Hard one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, unless you had Andrew, yeah, no, good. Yeah. That's great. So, um, James, for everyone, thank you so much for coming in for the HR Partners podcast. Thanks again. Cool. Thank you. Easy.